open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. I'm Gary Wirtz. Hello, and thank you for listening to Ophthalmology Off the Grid. In this episode, Drs. Blake Williamson and Gary Wirtz invite Dr. Marnix Hearsing to share his experiences and philosophy behind building his business in ophthalmology, philanthropy, and more. Thank you for listening. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz from Ophthalmology Off the Grid. We're getting ready to uh, have another great episode with a wonderful guest, uh, the one and only Dr. Marnix Hearsink. Uh, Dr. Hearsink needs no introduction, but he practices cataract refractive surgery out of a big practice down in Dothan, Alabama and the surrounding areas. He is a Renaissance man. Uh, he um, has started just one of the most amazing practices and continues to be there uh, doing great work, not only uh, in ophthalmology, but in philanthropy and beyond. And uh, <clears throat> Dr. Hearsink, we're just so happy that you're able to carve out a little bit of time so we can pick your brain about how you have built uh, your brand and your business, since that's the uh, thrust of this episode. But also, we want to get to know you a little bit better and know kind of what makes you tick, know your philosophies and what's helped you through the years. So with that uh, big uh, uh, preamble, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thanks a lot, Gary. It's a real privilege to be here. I appreciate the invitation. And anytime I can contribute in any way, I'm obviously interested. And again, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Blake will be joining us here in just a moment, but while we're waiting for him to get connected, um, will you just give us a little bit of background? Um, I, I, I assume from your resume that um, you started off in Canada, but if that's not true, will you correct me on that? I did. Uh, I started in Canada. Actually, I was born in the Netherlands. My family immigrated to Canada when I was three, and I got my medical education in Canada for basics. And then I, I did an internship in uh, McGill University in Montreal. And then I started my real ophthalmology career when I got the uh, got opportunity to go to Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. So that was a really turning point for me with my career. And there I met my wonderful wife, uh, Mary, who we've been married 45 years. So we've had a great career together, honestly. And so we uh, finished our education and then we moved right away to Dothan, Alabama, which I'm still living at in today and very proud of the fact that we can be in Alabama and we're Never going to be native Alabamians, but we're Alabamians. Well, that's funny um, because it, that, you know, my story is not exactly the same, but I grew up in Michigan, but my family immigrated generations ago um, through New York, straight, straight west to uh, King City, Ontario, and then came across to Flint, Michigan. And so um, while I was born in Michigan, I ended up going to Kentucky met a girl named Mary and married her. And we've been together for uh, 24 years. And I'm a proud uh, transplanted Kentuckian and happy to be doing good things in Kentucky. So not exactly the same, but a lot of similarities there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's great. Well, yeah. And of course, King City, that would be in Canada. Was that the oil, uh, oil, oil city for a while, I think? 
That's right. That's right. So, you know, one of my theories about uh, people who have had, you know, sort of some level of success is they've not had to start over too many times. And uh, we're welcoming Blake here. He's he's joining us right now. But tell me a little bit about you're you're a you know transplanted Canadian in in Philadelphia. You're at Will's Eye Hospital, and something happened that that got you to Dothan, Alabama. And then I'm sure a number of things happened that allowed you to stay. Can you just fill in those gaps for what conversation got you to go to Dothan, Alabama from Will's Eye Hospital? Yeah, I actually am very compulsive as a person on many things. And one of them is I learned that when I moved to Philadelphia from Canada, there's a world of difference with everything, America, Canada, but also weather. And I realized when I was in Philadelphia to be outside in Thanksgiving without wearing a thick winter coat was magnificent. So I said, well, that's great. So then I said, well, maybe I could think about moving to the States with my, my fiance at the time. And I, I bought a $5 U.S. climatic survey, which tells you the number of hours of sunshine that every part of the country has. And I looked at it and said, this is where I need to be in the south with the sunshine. So that narrowed it down to in our area. It's, it's, the, it's the Florida area. The, uh, uh, the, the mid, the, of course, Arizona has more. But so that was one thing. And then I realized, you know, I don't think I'm going to be a person for academics. I'm not going to be doing a lot of research. I'm a clinician. I'm a hands-on guy. And then there was an advertisement that someone sent to me, which said, okay, I'm looking for a colleague and a partner. And I answered that. And my wife and I came down and we absolutely fell in love with that little town. But 35,000 people did not have the ophthalmology services that I was able to provide, like, you know, new things and new, I was the first person to do a FACO here, which was a terrific advancement and et cetera. And I did a I did cornea transplants and started a ophthalmology general practice. And, you know, people accepted us. We, they, they thought that would be wonderful for, of course, for us to be here. But I was delighted that we could start our career and our family here. So that led me to Dothan. Like, what do you think about that? You, you're down, you're down, you get a lot of sunshine and, and warm weather down in Louisiana. You're not too far away from Dothan. What do you think about his uh, $5 uh, geological survey map as, as one of the keystones of, of a fantastic career? Classic Marnix. You know, I've been to Dothan. I was just there a few months back. Uh, you know, uh, I stayed at the family's house and, and we hung out and, uh, uh, you know, I got to visit and do surgery and everything else. And it's, it's just a, it's just an amazing success story. Um, and uh, I'm just so happy to, to have Marnix here. And, and I met Marnix uh, at a meeting that I was uh, helping chair where, where we had the Visionary Award. He was the very first recipient of that, uh, thanks to Jack Parker. Jack Parker was the guy that introduced me to Marnix uh, and Sebastian. And it's just amazing. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, sometimes when you meet ophthalmologists like, like Marnix, it's, it's like hearing a song um that um that you never heard before and you're like how did i not know this existed you know i love music like you hear an amazing song on the radio or that you're like how did i not know you know and so in jack's we recommend uh, when jack parker recommended that we uh we award uh marnix um you know i i started to 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 learn who he was and so of course we got to meet him and then of course with my dad uh, and sebastian and his dad there's so many corollaries of course their whole family is in ophthalmology just like my whole family is in ophthalmology and there's just so many analogs um, and it's just been so great to, uh, to learn from them and, and, and uh, be with them. You're not going to meet better people uh, than the Hearsink family. So, Marnix, it's so good to, to have you on the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Blake. And, you know, when we first met, I knew you guys were special. Your whole family, the reputation of your family was 
you guys are kind of idols for me, especially your dad, because he was a little ahead of me in many, many areas. You guys built a fantastic practice, still have, and are still doing great. So I thought, man, if I could just kind of learn what they do and how they do it. So uh, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate our friendship. You are a fabulous person. So I thank you for just being our friend. Yeah. So, so Marnix, as I'm sure that, uh, that Gary's told you this whole season's about building your business and, you know, you must've built somewhat of a business, uh, with that gift to the, to the, to now the, the Hearsink school of, uh, medicine, uh, you know, what an amazing gift and what an amazing, for, for those that don't know, I mean, it's public knowledge. It was, I think it was, a, was it $150 million that the family, uh, supported the UAB school of medicine? Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's under close enough. And, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting. It's really an honor. Of course, there's money involved. But to me, when the dean of medicine and the president said, you know, we are delighted to not only accept the funds, but we're delighted to name the school after you. And I thought, wow, what greater honor to have a school of medicine, which is our field, to to have it in your in your legacy. And I, I don't deserve it. I understand it, but I'm thankful for it. I really appreciate that. So it's been a highlight for me. And I, it's actually led me to a whole new world in terms of philanthropy and what I do with my time now. I'm lucky I still practice. I'm working every day. I did surgery today and lasers. I'm doing all that still. But there's another side to me that's been you know, uh, sort of fortified and strengthened by being in contact with people that are world leaders. I'm in touch with people I never dreamt I'd sit beside or talk with them or learn from them. So, gosh, I, 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 this part of my life, which in the person of twilight, I think, man, I wish I could share this with more people because my opportunities have been way beyond what I deserve or what I ever thought, to be honest. With something like that, I mean, with with a gift that size, I mean, there's very few ophthalmologists, there are probably on one hand, a number of ophthalmologists that could ever even give earn that much money, much less give it away, for God's sakes. And so, you know, people who, who see that, um, you know, it, with regards to what this season's all about, is all about building business, you know. How would you go about doing something like that? Because I know it's not from doing FACOs and LASIK. I know that, you know, there's many other things that 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 people would consider. Kind of how did you how did you go about being a businessman? Was it just was it was it all real estate? Was it was it you know, stock market? Was it all of that? You know, kind of talk about how you became a businessman early on. You moved to Dothan, you know, um, you, you set up this practice. You grow the practice, but at one point you you started making decisions that made you a very successful businessman. So I kind of want to go back to the genesis of that time in your life. Yeah, Blake, good point. You know, I started being a businessman when I was ten, and I started being a businessman because I was I had a paper route, and I knew what it took to have a business. And then, you know, you deliver papers, you get paid or you don't get paid. It's bad weather, cold weather. You just had all the consequences of that. And in Canada. And it's not fun to deliver papers in minus 20 degrees in the middle of the winter, et cetera. So I learned from that. And I thought, man, I like it a lot because I had a little money left over to spend on candy and stuff like that. And I really thought, okay, that sort of lit my fire. But then I got more and more involved and I started a lot of things. And some of them were just experimental. They were trial and error. And, but I did always have the drive to say, look, I, I, I got to just keep going. Medicine was my passion, it still is, but I also knew that I loved, well, loved having a lot of opportunities from our wealth. And having partners has been part of that. My, my dream has always been, okay, whatever you do, you do it really well and let it grow and then let others kind of help you with it. Because there's no way for me to do what I do now by myself. 
And I have a fabulous partner, uh, Frank Bearfield, who has helped me for 35 years. We've been in business together. And we really have gotten to a point where I never thought we could do what we do. But then I had areas where you think, man, I wish I hadn't done that. We've have been in hotels. We've been in the stock market. We've been in oil wells. And you go, oh, what was I thinking? Or what were we thinking? We had an antique business that was beautiful and everything, but it, it didn't really fit our, our current situation where we just really basically have a, a good business that is a very wealthy and opportunity for us to enjoy our wealth and share, which is where I'm at now, sharing my wealth, our wealth. Yeah. So Marks, we walk me through that because I feel like there are, if we're lucky enough in life, we go through different phases uh, of our career. And, you know, when you're starting off, I, I sort of say it's kind of like treading water uh, in an ocean with all the parts of a boat floating around you trying to build a boat while trying not to sink. And, you know, for a while, you know, at the beginning, it's really hard to gain traction, but eventually you sort of build your little life raft and then you start cobbling things together. And, you know, before you know it, you've got a little momentum. So will you walk us through a little bit about, you know, you get to Dothan, you're, you're starting to, you know, add services, you're building a little bit of business. Can you break down your career into various phases, sort of the build, you know, the, 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 the startup phase, maybe the growth phase, and then maybe the exponential phase and, and maybe a corollary to that is at what point do you feel like having, you know, wealth management partners on the outside can really sort of uh, take things to a level that you couldn't do on your own, like just with, you know, a, a stock market account through Merrill Lynch or something like along those lines? Yeah, that's a really good point. Of course, when we moved to Dothan, I had saved a little money, but not a whole lot. Uh, and we basically started at ground zero. And, and I, it, one patient at a time, the old story, you know, take care of the patient. So that was a really good thing. But I always, always knew that I was going to do that. And I started buying land. And I bought a piece here, bought a piece there, kept it. And then Drothen was growing. So I sold a piece. That was one part that started it all. And then I realized land is great, but it really doesn't generate income. And so I said, what do I do with land? Oh, you think about putting buildings on it. Oh, so you go from step one to step two. And then you go, oh, gee, wouldn't I have a business that not only does more than just that? So you start all these things. And then you get to a point where you got to decide, am I going to do more time in medicine or am I going to do more time in business? And that's where it comes to key. I had two or three partners that were wonderful, but they didn't have the same passion and drive that I have that, 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 that currently is in our, our system now. And, and Frank Bearfield, he's a fabulous person. So he manages now the business that I am not able to do. And he's taken and just driven it to a point where I'm, I'm actually amazed. But we've done other things, like I mentioned, all the other stories that we, we, we tried to put together, you know, the hotels and the oil wells and all that, but they were failures. And that's what I learned. Failures are a good thing, but I also learned don't make those mistakes when you're 60 or even 65 or 55 invest and work and try and drive when you're 35, 45, 55, but then you get to a point where you don't take those risks. You have to put your, put your family's wealth at stake and that's not where I'm at. And I, ever would, any, I would advise anybody to never do that. With regards to the business of ophthalmology, so you, you've been in a lot of real estate, which is, has, has done great. Um, but with, with regards to ophthalmology, most people listening to this podcast are gonna be thinking to themselves, and how can I grow a great business within ophthalmology? So, so y'all have, uh, maybe just kind of go over how many locations you have now. I know that you're in different states now. Um, you're geographic. I mean, you're not local. I mean, you're, you're, you're really are regional at this point in multi-state. 
um, you know, talk about how you might uh, recommend or what advice you'd have for someone who says, you know, I'd like to create a very big business within ophthalmology itself. You know, how, how do you go about starting there? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think, Blake, that's, I realized too, Dothan, Alabama is wonderful, but I think if I wanted to continue to grow, we saturated our market. And so we realized we have to go beyond this if we want to keep growing. And I have, a, I'm a growth person and still at my age, I still want to see growth. So you buy a little practice or you associate with a practice. I worked very, very hard for, to have a good relationship with our optometric colleagues. I always felt that if we did this right ethically and we did it properly, that we could build a business based on relationships. And it's turned out to be, be true. Uh, and so we had partnerships with them. And then we decided, you know, we're going to have a second or third office. And then experimentally, we lost a couple of you know, opportunities, but we gained others. Then you get colleagues to come on board and you really have to inspire them to stay because colleagues come and go and they'll stay if they have a stake in the game, skin in the game. But if they say, hey, I'm just as an employee, it's not the same. So we have partners and they realize that, gee, there's a gain by doing this together. But they also require and want to have leadership. And that's been one of my responsibilities, actually a privilege to be a leader in this. And then you talk about vision and you have all those things. But so I, if I'm young and I'm a 35-year-old well-trained person, I'm thinking, what do I want to have in the next 40, 50 years? I personally, and I, I'm a little biased, I, I think private equity can be wonderful, but I'm thinking I'd rather do it myself. I think I can do a better job and I can do better service, better care, and compete better if it's in my control. So we've decided we're not going to go that road. Part of that is we have succession plan. We're very fortunate. We've got Sebastian, as you know, and our other son, Marius, is in ophthalmology. And I believe he's, we're hoping, he, I'm counting on him coming home. So we have that. And then we have some partners that have been here a long time. And so you build a team. And if I'm a 35-year-old guy looking for an opportunity for myself, I think teamwork's better than solo now in this day and age with the same culture, the same vision, the same drive. And then in that group, eventually somebody is going to lead one or two people. And I, I, at this point, I've had that mantle, that privilege. But that 35-year-old may say, well, maybe I'll go to this level, but I, won't wanna, I don't want to be the president where I have to go to all the meetings and make that or I'm happy to be an employee, but I'm part of a team. And I think our multi-state presence has been very good. I think it shields us and gives us the diversity because if one area of our, our little area gets down for economic reasons or something, we have some others to kind of cover that. And then the other thing we learned was that our relationship with optometry for many, many years, we said, you know what, we're never gonna do optometry but we learned economic circumstances and regulatory circumstances have changed so that we now think that having an, a, 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 a like, like your practice, Blake, you have a ophthalmology optometry division. And I think that's wise. We have a great relationship with many, many optometrists and we still do that. We also have our internal team now that does the added benefit of having patient care that we share between optometry and ophthalmology. So you have the locations, you have the staff, you have the, 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 the two professions. I, I like what we're doing and I like it that I think whatever happens, we're still gonna be relevant and think we're gonna be able to compete, which is really important to me that you're gonna stay economically viable over the long term. You talked about succession plan and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about how it feels having your son in your practice and maybe another one coming along. 
Um, just as an aside, you know, my daughter is starting optometry school today at, at Ohio State. So, you know, we may have our own little succession plan uh, coming down the pike maybe someday. Uh, so I want to say hi to Peyton and congratulate her on her first day of optometry school. But tell me about how what a, what a rush and, and a thrill and a privilege it has been, I'm sure, to have your son and maybe another one come and join you in your practice. How does that make you feel professionally and as a father? Yeah, great point. You know, this is, again, when you're starting out, you can't think that far ahead. You maybe have a secret dream, but to have it realized where you go, you know, the kids are now 30, 35, 40, you go, it's just possible. So I, I know when Sebastian was thinking about ophthalmology and he was at MIT and doing engineering, et cetera, I wasn't sure he was going to go into medicine. But then when he came to an academy, I think it was maybe Ascaris in Boston one year with me, and we walked around together, I saw his eyes light up when he saw this equipment that we use. He saw the potential and all this, the OCTs and all that. He understood all that. And I realized this is a spark that he has. So when he made that decision, I thought, yes, we're on the right path. And then, you know, he, he's here now and he's been here 12 years. I watched him today do a video to introduce patients to LASIK. I'm so proud of him. Beautifully done, well said. It was inspirational. And, I, and like you said, Gary, as a dad, you go, wow, I'm so happy. I hope you have that chance with your daughter. So Peyton, congratulations to you. You carry on and have a good career. But I, but I, so that's have that. And then Marius, uh, Sebastian's younger brother, finishing up at Wills, he's going to have a great education. And I'm, I'm just delighted to think that both of them will be here. And, you know, as a parent, what more could you ask for? And we get along so well. We have a lot of mindset. We don't have any issues that are blo blocking any of our relation, our loving relationships. So it's a dream come true. And Blake, I'm sure you've got a lot of family and it's got to be the same way for you. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, I'm just thinking, uh, my four-year-old, uh, Forrester, uh, when he went to the bathroom today, he didn't ask me to wipe his butt for him. He wiped his own butt. So I'm super proud of him. <laughs> it's not quite, it's, it's not MIT or will or optometry school, but you know, we're, we're getting started down here. Um, uh, so, so yeah, no, it's been, it's, it's, it's awesome for us too. Most days and other days are hard. You know, the only challenge of family business is it, it's 24 seven. And so even on holidays and things, if I'm talking to my brother or my dad or my uncles, we all work together. We're talking about how to, how to, how to do it better. How can we take better care of patients? How can we, what are markets that we're missing? So that's the negative, but the positive is, is that, you know, we have so much trust and everybody's pulling in the same direction uh, at all times. And, and, uh, it's really beautiful. So I think that, you know, I think, I think that overall that, that we're really blessed. What did Sebastian do on the business end? Um, Cause again, everything's kind of pointed to a business in this episode. Like when he came in, did he shake it up? Did he, did he all of a sudden bring in, I don't know, different multifocal lenses or MIGs or Femto or uh, you know, is there, is there any business things that whenever he came on, he kind of modernized the practice a bit. That, that was my experience when I came on, I, I shook it up big time and it was kind of rocky road there for a bit. I had to kind of prove that these new technologies would be good service lines and good for business and make our practice money. Um, did you have some of that when he came on? Did he bring new energy, new ideas to the practice? Yeah, he did. Um, he, of course, did the new technology, but he also streamlined some of our uh, inefficient practices. And the one thing that he brought was his character. I got to tell you, Blake, he is the most wonderfully loved guy here. You know him. He's smiling. He's energetic. He's so appreciated. Whereas sometimes people look at me and go, that grumpy old man. What is, wait, let's let his son take over. 
But I really appreciate that because anything that comes his way, he just steps up. And says, oh, sure, I take care of that, like you do for your, your your practice. You guys are the leaders now, and I'm delighted that I still have a, a, a relevant role here. I'm honored by it. But I got to tell you, that's what Sebastian brought his character, and he brought some things that he brought from Wills, and of course his engineering training is you know always with great help. So that's this thing when you get a young new colleague and associate, it happens to be a family member. You got to be very appreciative for them. They're always looking for those kind of, you know, people to come on board. I love it when I get to talk to someone who has some perspective on ophthalmology. Um, when Blake and I talk to our our compatriots, we, we're seeing just a little keyhole of our own experience for the past ten plus years. Um, but I feel like folks who've been in this game for a while not only have the perspective of the past, but that makes you pretty good at predicting the future. So as, as business people, what we're always trying to do is figure out where's the puck going, you know, to borrow a hockey adage. So when you look at ophthalmology and let's say specifically with regards to cataract and refractive surgery, anterior segment surgery, where do you see things going in the next five to 10 years? I just love to kind of get your glimpse into your crystal ball. I think, uh, Gary, where we're going is, I, and of course it's always can change, but I think there's going to be continued consolidation so that practices are going to be able to provide the expertise. The solo practices are struggling all the time because of lots of reasons. But So I think multi-specialty practices in ophthalmology are really, really good. I have this concern, and I got to you know, just be honest, I think the fact that private equity, and they're very important, they're very good, I'm not downgrading it, but they bring a whole new element in this. And that's where there's going to be a shakeout at some point. And where it's going to end, I don't know. We've taken the position that we're going to work hard independently to do our the very best. So our battle is going to be another fact that's coming is the legislative battle. Scope of practice, that's something to be considered. Uh, and, you know, those factors are all there. But to say in five or 10 years, I think we're well positioned. We're broad based. We've got a pretty good culture. In fact, I hope an excellent culture. We've got good people that are coming on board, like my son, Mars, and others. So I feel future is to have those kind of organizations rather than the smaller person or the practice. Or, and again, we're all, we have to transition. We have to have that succession plan. Without that, practices are going to struggle to keep, keep going and do well. Maybe in our last comment here, um, Marnix, as we kind of close, um, I want to know what keeps you going. So you mentioned that you did surgery today. I watched my 73-year-old father uh, do 20 cataracts today. Um, he, he's done very well. He's not at your level, but he's done great. But he's still doing what he's doing. Um, you, you, you've given away more money than most of us will ever make. Yet you're here. You are doing surgery, taking care of people. Why are you doing that? Why not? Why not go do something else? Why not go sit on a beach or, you know, hang out in Europe? You know, what keeps you doing what you're doing right now? Yeah, Blake. Thank you for asking that. Because, of course, always people ask me that question, including my wife, and I, I, I don't think I can stop. And I mean, I did 14 surgeries today with cataracts and laser, just like your dad. I'm so lucky. I feel great that I can do that. But I got the second side of me, and that is the business side. And then I got the third side of philanthropy. Then I got the side of travel. So I got five or six different things, and I'm never bored. I can always do that, do this, do that. And there's so much depends on a wonderful family and your health, but you know all that. So for me, what keeps me going is just like, why, why would I stop? 
I mean, I don't, I like it. And there's going to be a day where something will happen, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, I'll have to make it big change. I get it. In the meantime, every day, let me enjoy it. And I am enjoying it. And I'm thankful that we've got great colleagues like you and Gary and a bunch of other people. And my career has been outstandingly blessed by having been around super people like you guys. Wow. I Blake, I'm telling you, I mean, I feel blessed literally just listening to the perspective of a, of a colleague. An old like guy, an old guy. <laughs> no, a colleague and friend. So Marnix, uh, thank you so much, not only just for coming on and, and sharing your perspectives, but just for your leadership. Um, you know, we're proud to call you a colleague. You're, you're someone that we look up to. And um, if you're ever in Lexington or I'm sure Baton Rouge, please look us up. We'd love to take you to dinner and and host you. You're such a wonderful gentleman. So thank you. Uh, guys, that's beyond my belief. Thanks for having me today. It means a lot to me. Appreciate awesome. it. All right. It's been Ophthalmology Off the Grid with Blake and Gary and Dr. Marnix Hearsink. Until next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And thank you to our guest, Dr. Marnix Hearsink, for sharing his story. Until next time.